Well, good morning. I'm another one of the pastors here, John Guest, and uh, thrilled to be amongst all of you and talk about the sanctity, the wonder of our human lives. You may not know this, but I have four daughters, my wife and I. One of them's adopted. She went off to uh, Cambridge in England to study some theology and met a guy and married him. And they now have two adopted children who are in early adolescence. They got them as little ones and have raised them as their own. But they are adopted. So that's a part of my family life. And we're thrilled for them. We love them like our own. And so every time we go over to England, one of the things we make a point of doing is getting over to see them. England being the home of my uh, childhood and growing up and education. In any case, as we come to this issue of the sanctity of human life, over the nearly 50 years of Roe versus Wade, which, praise the Lord, has been abandoned and uh, annulled. But over the course of that near 50 years, it's hard to imagine that 60 million abortions have taken place. All the shedding of that innocent blood. That's a heavy and solemn issue. It's painful to most of us here, one way or another. And I would just as soon have not to address it. Because I know how painful it is. And for some of you who've had abortions or in your family have been a part of it, it is a very painful, painful thing. And I do know and understand that. But we have been originally, and what makes life sacred is that we were in the first place created, this is foundational, created in the image and likeness of God. That was the original creation. Listen to these words from the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And in verse 26, you have these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And just there, you've got a hint of God being somehow more than just one personality when he speaks about our image, our likeness. Who else is he talking about? If this is God the Father speaking, He is speaking about someone else, like our son, the Lord Jesus, his son rather, like the Holy Spirit. They confer amongst themselves and decide to create humanity, human beings in their likeness. So it goes on to say this, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
So God is the author of our sexuality. Male and female are his idea. Love and marriage and commitment and family are all built into that notion. And what's a miracle, which we will come to later on, God again wants to adopt us back into his intimate family so that when we come to know the Lord Jesus and he by his spirit enters into our lives, we are made a new creation. But in its origins, our humanity was originally after the image and likeness of God. And that's what makes them sacred. We are the crowning pinnacle of God's creation. We stated together in the affirmation of our creedal beliefs that we believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. He is the creator of everything, but the crowning pinnacle of that creation are human beings just like us after his image and likeness. We are sacred, therefore. That's what makes us potentially holy. C.S. Lewis said, given the incarnation, the coming of Jesus at Christmas time, which we've just celebrated, we've still got our Christmas tree up. We tend to leave it up a while longer. But celebrating Jesus the Son of God coming into the world as a baby. And C.S. Lewis, that very credible, famous author from some years ago, of course, actually the author of like the Narnia series and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and they, all those were made into movies in our lifetime. In any case, he said with God coming back into the creation and Jesus being born as one of us. That changes how, again, like reinvests his purpose and meaning in the dignity, the sanctity of our lives. God coming back to redeem us and make us his own. I'll come back to that thought. I want to move on to the passage that was read for us from Psalm 39. Excuse me, 139. And these verses brought to us the following indicators of how amazing our creation is. Listen, for instance, to this verse. Verse 13. For you are created... Sorry... For you created my inmost being and knit me together in my mother's womb. When it speaks about our inmost being, it's talking about our identity, who we are, our soul, our deep inner personality. He created us. He made us. And then it goes on to speak of our bodies that he created them as well. So in that it says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. The miracle of how 
a baby comes together and is born in the human womb. A couple that uh, I knew from years ago who've come back to Christ Church as part of our church. And the young lady came uh, about a year ago to have her son baptized, came with her husband today. She has another child in the womb. Us guys will never know what it's like for you to carry a human baby soul in your womb. I somewhat envy my wife who's born our children. It's a wonder and a miracle how that child comes forth. Perfect, just beautiful. So God gives us our identity in creation, who we are, a soul, and our bodies, all part of who we are. And then it goes on to say this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. There is no doubt that when you think of how a body comes together so that you've got a nervous system, for instance, all connected to the brain, and you can wave your hands, your fingers, your feet, stand and move around, and it's all connected via a network, a nervous network. A few years ago, PBS, Public Broadcasting System, PBS did a, 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 pro, a series of programs, five, on the adventure of the brain, the journey of a brain. And one of the remarkable factoids that came out of that was in the first year of a baby's life, there are 1,000 trillion cells that get connected in the brain, a live connection. And they quoted as saying, they are quoted as saying, that that is more than the stars in the sky. In the first year of a child's brain, a thousand trillion connections made. The psalmist may have had some awareness of how amazing a body is, but he had no idea about that. Science has brought us the knowledge of how wonderful that living being growing in the womb really, really is. And then it goes on to say this. Your eyes saw my unformed body. This is verse 16. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The whole notion that there is a purpose to our lives, that we're given a sense of destiny, purpose. I remember in my early adolescence, walking home from school in Oxford, England, and I, I, out of the blue, I'm asking myself these questions. Guest, <laughs> they used to call us by our last name in school, guest, why are you going to school, I asked myself. 
Well, to get a good education. Then I asked myself, why do you want a good education? And I told myself, so that you can get a good job. Then I asked myself, and why do you want a good job? So that you can earn good money. And why do you want good money, I asked myself, so that you can live with a certain amount of pleasure and security. And then I asked myself, and so what? You mean that's it? And I wasn't raised to go to church. We didn't have a Bible in the home. We never prayed together. But my mind, by God's good grace, took a leap from that last question to the so what. And I said to myself, guess there must be a God. This can't be just aimless, meaningless existence. The very fact that I'm asking these questions and have this longing for a sense and purpose of why I'm even here and what I'm doing, what I'm doing. That was the beginning of God going to work in me and giving me a sense that for which I had a longing that there was a purpose, a sense of destiny. And I can tell you this, the night I surrendered my life to Jesus, I was 18 at the time, and an American by the name of Billy Graham came preaching in, in London, and I went to hear him. And that night I asked Christ to come into my life and hand it over to him. That was the first time in my life I felt clean on the inside. Forgiven. I'd been up to all kinds of mischief. And that I could be forgiven and made new and clean it was a gift. At the same time I had this longing and sense of destiny now being met. If God is my father, if I've been adopted into his family, and I couldn't have used that language then, it was just an intuitive sense. My life's going to count for something. It's headed somewhere. Even to be in this pulpit right now, speaking to you, goes back to that day when I surrendered my life to Jesus. And he came into my life. And that sense of purpose has been lived out. It's an amazing thing my wife and I share together. Isn't it great, we said, how God kept us for himself, created a situation whereby we met each other and married, the four children, the home, the life. It's been an amazing journey. I can say this in all integrity and honesty. I could wish for every one of you the life that we have lived. And it's not perfect. We've had pain. We've lost a little boy. And that was probably the most painful thing of our lives. But the presence of the Lord and the sense of purpose and fulfillment that comes with it is a gift. And here, it's all part of what God has made us to be. You've got that longing. I know it. You don't want to sit just there like a bump on a log. You've got a life to live. And you want to know what it's all worth. And, and for whatever reason, you feel unworthy and sinful and broken and messed up. He makes that all new. 
That's actually somewhat hinted at in this next statement. Listen to these words. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. All part of that same flow of communication from God through his word. And that last piece speaks about a personal intimacy that he longs for. You see, God is a person. It's in those early verses. When God says, let us make man in our image, that's an identity issue. And to make you, me, our, in his image. And he consults with himself, so to speak, in his soul, his own being. Let us make man. And when he makes us, after his likeness and image, so male and female. Our sexual orientations as man and woman are his gift to us. But it's all personally related to him. He is a person. He is not a blind life force. He knows who we are. He knows everything about us. As Jesus said, every hair on our head numbered. He knows who we are. He knows where we are coming from, what we've had to deal with. He knows us through and through. But he loves us and wants that association, that personal relationship with us. It's not just a matter of creedal, formal, doctrinal statements. They all lead to the possibility of someone just like you and me coming to him. His creation, sacred and sanctified unto him. And he counted us worth the investment of his life here on earth to be buried in a tomb, having been executed on a cross, having been born into this messed up world of ours. The carol that we sing, in the dark world shineth the everlasting life. The hopes and fears of all the years are born in thee tonight. Speaking of Bethlehem. That Lord Jesus coming so that we might end up being able to understand who God is, how much he loves us, the price he's paid for us on the cross that we might be forgiven, and to know him personally and intimately so that that living Jesus who walked out of the grave alive can come and live and dwell in us and make us this new creation. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. Listen to these words. If anyone, that's anyone, that's anyone like you, is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things are passed away and everything is made new. Consequently, the Bible goes on to say, that being the case, we are not our own once we ask Christ into our lives. We're not our own. We belong to him. Our bodies become his holy temple. He dwells in us, a personal, intimate relationship. 
That gives us the power to live a different kind of life. And if you're looking for that, it's Jesus you're looking for. Some of you know that personally and intently. But I'm always aware that there are one or two people in any audience this size who have never ever gotten to know Jesus personally. I mean, I remember when I went to church the first time chasing a girl who'd broken my heart. I was about 17 at the time. And I, she had made mention that she went to church. I made a couple of sexual moves on her. She pushed my hands away and said, I'm not into that. I go to church. Well, that was a new experience. So when she dumped me sometime later, I found out which church she went to and went there to try and get the relationship on again. And I, I've taken my wife to the very seat I sat in because that was a very big step for me and the beginning of the rest of my journey. I never did catch up with that girl. My wife says she's going to thank her if she makes it to heaven. She reminds me. (laughs) She's an old lady right now anyway. That's because I'm an old man. But how amazing that the Lord would capture and come into my life and change my whole destiny and where I was headed with my life. If any one of us is in Christ, we are a new creation. Are you longing to be cleaned up and forgiven? To have a rebirth in your soul? To suddenly in that discover who you really are? What God has in mind for you? It's an amazing thing. This wonderful creation. Life is amazing. One last thing. The only way things are going to change in this dark, dark world of ours is that people just like you and me, having grasped the hand of God, having yielded our lives to him, become what he then declares us to be, lights in a dark, dark world. Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. But when he comes into our lives, he says, you are the light of the world. You shine a light in a lit room, it doesn't do much, but in a dark world, you can see it for miles. And the only hope for our nation, as darkening as it's getting, is an amazing, amazing moral reformation. And the only way to get to, to, to even get to a moral reformation is a spiritual renewal, a spiritual awakening.
and you and I are the avenues and channels of God's communication as lights in a dark, dark world to go tell them about Jesus. You care about our nation? I do. I've become an American. I love this nation. I love what I've joined myself to. I'm proud to call myself an American. And I care about this nation. And we have got to be about the business of sharing the good news. We actually have a class starting up this coming Wednesday amongst a whole group of other classes that you should be hearing about in just a few moments as I close. One of them is how to share your faith. We're talking about being courageous. I know it takes guts. It takes a whole lot of guts to go out there and shine for the living God. And how to share your faith is really, really an intimidating factor. And we've got a whole bunch of courses all about courageous manhood, womanhood, sharing your faith and others, about a half a dozen of them, starting this Wednesday. And in fact, in a couple of weeks, on a Thursday night, we have a very famous professor, at least at Trinity School for Ministry, who's going to be coming here and teaching about courage. Her name is Erica. And she's going to be coming and teaching about courage. You can find more about that as you go out into the Minton Commons. But as a follow-on from the solemnity of our time together here this morning, and the holiness of a moment like this where we rediscover again who we are and our identity becomes an opportunity for us to be considering together our next steps. So let's pray together. That is, if you'll bow your heads and I'll talk to the Lord, I'll talk to him on your behalf, You see him coming to where you are, loving you, that same living Lord Jesus. And in your own heart, say to him, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me the dignity that comes, the self-awareness of a whole new life with you. Fill me with yourself, Lord Jesus. Drive out the darkness. Clean up all the messes and the muddles and the confusions. Cleanse me. Clean me out. Make me new. And speak to my soul, my heart, who you've made me to be in these moments, that I might gladly say, yes, Lord Jesus, I am yours. Help me to walk with you. Thank you. Amen.